How do I find a new job? How can I make a career change? And the biggest question of all, can I really find a career that I love? Hey, my name is Jen Smith, and I believe career success doesn't have to be at the expense of living a radiantly happy and healthy lifestyle. As a former HR leader and recruiter turned career coach, I get what companies are looking for when hiring top talent. What that means for you is an unmatched combination of insider knowledge and the best kept secrets about making heart-based career changes and navigating the ups and downs of job searching in today's world of work. Whether you're a recent graduate navigating the job market for the first time or a seasoned professional ready for a career change, this show is for you. So grab your coffee or your kombucha, pull up a seat and get ready to be challenged and inspired to move beyond your self-doubt and take the right next steps towards landing a career you love. Because you deserve a long, radiantly happy and healthy career. This is the Flourish Careers Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Flourish Careers Podcast. I'm Jen Smith, your host, and today I'm thrilled to be here for another installment of Flourishing Together, a monthly segment dedicated to curated conversations with industry insiders sharing wisdom and strategies for improving your work and well-being. I'm delighted to introduce you to Vicki Bradley, the founder of Vicki Bradley and & Company and Will Empowered, which stands for Women in Leadership Empowered. Her focus is on supporting leaders to become more conscious by expressing their bold voices, owning their power skills, and better harmonizing their feminine and masculine attributes as leaders, which I'm really excited to talk more about today. In addition, Vicki is currently completing her PhD, which is such a huge accomplishment with a focus on power dynamics and their impact on women. Vicki is a seasoned executive with over 25 years of experience in the retail industry C-suite, leading iconic brands such as the Bombay Furniture Company, where she was president for nine of those years. And in her free time, Vicky likes to travel and read and connect with people and spend time with her kids. And fun fact, I had to add this in there. Vicky and I live in different countries, although we're only about an hour, hour and a half away from each other, which is just fun. So even though we're in different countries, we're practically neighbors. (laughs) Vicky, it's so good to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you, Jen. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for inviting me on your show. So today we're going to talk about conscious leadership, which based on my ongoing conversations with job seekers, this is so needed in today's working world. So to kick us off, do you mind sharing a little bit more about what you mean by conscious leadership and maybe how that's different from traditional leadership approaches? Yeah, absolutely. So conscious leadership is, you know, one of my favorite ways that I work with clients. And mostly that stems from my own experiences, you know, having led a number of different organizations. But it's really about recognizing how are we showing up when things are going great? And how are we showing up when we get stressed? Because there's big differences there, right? And so What I work with clients on is helping them understand they have a choice. 
helping them understand what are their default tendencies. You know, are you, uh, just as an example, are you falling into victim mode where you might feel powerless? Doesn't mean you're a victim, but when you get stressed, you might start to feel like I have no power or fear or doubt. Um, you know, all of those things that start playing in our heads come about. So for me, conscious leadership is really about being aware of how you're showing up. Are you reacting to situations or are you consciously responding? That is huge. I love how you recommend it. You know, first the self-awareness piece and just recognizing how you're showing up in different situations and the responding versus reacting. I feel like there are so many leaders without even recognizing it. They just have these knee-jerk reactions to things and they don't even realize. I call them like tornadoes. Like they don't even realize the damage that they're leaving behind them as they're this like tornado going through a a stressful situation. And that, that impact, especially depending on the level of leader, I mean, that impact can have multi- multiple layers, you know, so just, you know, kind of pausing and recognizing and having that self-awareness is a really big deal, especially today too, now that I think about it, there's so many ups and downs with the economy and, you know, just social activities that are going on, just so much up and down and, and reacting and responding as a leader is, is really important, you know, consciously doing that consciously. And it's not, sorry, just if I can expand on that for one second, Jen, it's not, easy because people go, yeah, 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 of course I understand, you know, whether I'm reacting. And most of the time, to your point, we do not even know that we're doing it. But as you as you practice build muscle in that, it's important to understand you have a choice, right? And how many times do you hear leaders saying, oh, I didn't have a choice? Because there's so many complexities that are coming at us as leaders mm-hmm. all the time. And, and so you do have to slow that autopilot down and just react to a place of, okay, I have a choice here. How do I want to best show up? So the ripple effect is more positive than negative. Yes. And having, you know, to me, some, some of that comes with being mindful about how your team is going to respond to it. So it's knowing your team and knowing how, depending on the layers, like how many people are under you as a leader and how they're going to respond and knowing, you know, having an understanding of each of those individuals and sometimes even involving them. You know, sometimes as leaders, we think that we have to take it all on ourselves and it's all on our shoulders. But I found through the years that even involving the team with hard things can be a completely different outcome than just having some kind of knee-jerk reaction as well. So... 100%. 100%. Because they feel valued. They feel heard. You build their confidence, right? And we're all in this together. Exactly. We're not sitting on an island by ourselves as leaders. And oftentimes, there is that mindset that, oh, I can't tell them or I can't include them. And so it's how do you help bring them along the journey with you? Um, and and organizations and leaders who do that well usually are way more successful because they include people. They make people feel valuable. And we all want to feel like we belong, right? And so there's ways to do that to, to really you know, be conscious and and help individuals also so that when they're working with their teams or they're working with customers, they're doing the same thing, right? So there is this, there is this huge ripple effect. Yeah. Yes, I agree with you. Now, when you talk about, so something that really stood out to me was 
you talking about feminine and masculine attributes as leaders. So what does that mean? And can you share some examples? Of course. Yeah, I know. People kind of look at me like, what? You got two heads. <laughs> So, so this is really interesting. So when I when I was at Bombay, um, I got really, really sick and it came out of nowhere. And I was like, you know, I'm this thriving, you know, 30-some-year-old, late 30s. I'm, you know, running Canada and the US for a while. And then all of a sudden, I get super sick. And I was like, okay, how am I not well? <laughs> I, I yeah. truly didn't understand where this came from. Anyway, I share that because... I ended up having to go on this journey of figuring out what the heck was wrong with me. And um, I met someone in my wellness journey who said to me, wow, Vicki, you spend a lot of time in masculine energy. Hmm. And I was like, what does that even mean? And she said, well, we all have both masculine and feminine energy within us. And as I started to unpack that, Jen, what I started to realize is as a leader, I was oftentimes the only female in the room. <laughs> I I put on this armor to survive. And it, I put on these uh, masks of being in battle, right? And so I that's a very heavy masculine attribute, right? Men are protectors. They're hunters. Um, you know, they have to... They, think they have to come across as being very, very strong. And so I started taking on more of those attributes in order to survive as a leader. Mm -hmm. And I see this often in women. In, in my particular situation, because I spent so much time there and I was physically, emotionally, mentally out of alignment with both my femininity and my masculinity, because we all have both, it took a physical toll on me. And that I think was a, that was a big part of why I got sick because I was not in alignment with who I am as a person, but also as a leader. And so that created a lot of curiosity in me is what am I observing with leaders? Because I work with a lot of executives. I also work with a lot of emerging leaders. And so I, I start to look at how are they showing up? What masks are we putting on when we go into conversations or when we're navigating management meetings or boardroom tables? How are we going uh, about that? And, and what is our bodies telling us? Um, and so for both men and women, it's super important to start to look at how do I harmonize both? right? Because you need both. You need the mm -hmm. femininity, but you also need the masculinity. And I think, you know, a bit of the feminine movement that we've been on, we've sort of been pushing away the masculine and it's not about that. It's how do you harmonize them? Um, so hopefully that, you know, answers the question. But I know for me personally, that was a big part of my own healing as to why was I squashing my feminine side? Yes. <laughs> how do I bring that back to being me so that I am in alignment with who I am as a human being. And how do I use that to my advantage as I navigate life, right? I don't have mm -hmm. to be this warrior who's always ready to fight. And how that feminine is so important in so many of the decisions we make, because we tend to look at things more long-term, more broadly, where our masculine 
tendency is short-term thinking, right? Yes. Where how do we catch how do we catch the meal today versus how do we feed, how do we harvest, how do we feed our families for a long time? Right. So so that harmonization becomes super, super important. Yes. I talk with a lot of people about alignment in careers. And I love helping people find alignment from more of a career planning perspective. But mm-hmm. I talk a lot about when you're in a role and it's it doesn't feel like a fit, how that can provide a lot of wear and tear on your body, which you experienced, I've experienced it. And I think that is true because a lot of times our corporate settings are like the battlefield. It's that fight or flight kind of thing. And especially if you feel like you have to prove yourself being the only woman in a room full of men, which I've been there too. My early career, I was in manufacturing. I was one of the only women and it's a lot different. And you kind of have to pretend a little bit to fit in or feel like you have to pretend to fit in. And that can take a lot of energy and that really can drain the energy out of you, which over time leads to stress and potentially eventually sickness, which you experienced and I've experienced it. And so I love that you're able to take that experience and dig into it and then help others not get to the point where they're, you know, where they're sick. And so just out of curiosity. So when I think of masculine and feminine, I kind of think of energies, like maybe more empathy and compassion from a feminine perspective, and maybe a little more decisiveness or assertiveness from a masculine perspective. How do you help people? I I guess like it's probably a little bit around some self-awareness, but then how do you help people harmonize those or bring those together? Yeah, part of it goes back to when we just first started talking about understanding what your default tendencies are. Right. So when you know you have a conscious choice, so that's one way that I work with clients is helping them see that they have seven possible choices of how they could respond to any situation. Right. And and so it's part of it is moving from reactionary to being responsive. And so looking at things holistically, like what serves this particular situation the best? Sometimes it might be having more of that masculine energy. Maybe that is what you need to have in that given moment based on that situation. But it is pausing and looking at it longer term, right? Like what would actually serve me personally, but also what serves the situation and all of those involved for the longer run. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that's part of it. Um, it's also recognizing when you become more conscious, it impacts your decision-making right? Like you, you definitely are more clear because you can see things more broadly. And and so you and I both know too, when we've reacted, we've had to go back and play cleanup, right? Mm -hmm. Because maybe we didn't make a great decision. And so when you're, when you're highly conscious of that, then you, your clarity around how you're engaging and how you're deciding to do things is much more uh, long-term focused. Yes, the word adaptable comes to mind here, but it's not it's it's being adaptable and agile but also being authentic. So it's recognizing where you have to adapt and be agile but not to the extent that it's going to cause you to be someone that you're not. So 
adapting to the situation, to the people involved, but not so much to the point where it's like, oh, I'm doing this all the time and it's causing me to not be my authentic leader that I want to be and bring to the table every day. So there's got to be some type of, I guess, balance in there. But I think, again, it goes back to that recognition and that self-awareness about what you bring to the table and how you respond and or react to each situation. So very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I'm trying to think, and maybe you can help with an example. So, so do you have an example of a of a leader that you worked for that was that had this conscious leadership and how that differed from maybe somebody that wasn't? I don't know if you yeah. could share an example from that perspective. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Probably one of my um, I would say one of the individuals that had the biggest impact on my own growth as a leader. I worked for when I came to Canada. I worked for him and. He was very, I would say, very holistic in his approach. And he himself was very much in alignment with both masculine and feminine and highly inclusive, right? Like he included me in everything and also pushed me where like things I never had exposure to. Uh, Example, when I went to work for him, I had always been very much focused on the sales operations side. And when I started working for him, he started pushing me into being, you know, very in tuned with the buying side of the business, the marketing side of the business. And at first I was like, you know, I mean, yes, I understand how customers think and and how they shop. And he was like, exactly. So how do you take those skills and incorporate it into? And he was very much of a... um, I would say an inquirer when he Mm. was leading and coaching teams. Whereas the opposite of that is working for a leader who is very tell, tell, tell. Um, And I remember sitting in, um, we were in a session with a consulting group. They had come in and there were 12 executives. And uh, the CEO was like, we just, we can't work together. Like, you know, we need to figure out how to work together. So he hired this consulting firm. And he was very much a doer, right? And so if you think about the assessments where it classifies you as a red, blue, yellow, green, Mm -hmm. right? Red is very task focused. And so we went through this assessment (laughs) and I'll never forget the consultant says, wow, it's really interesting. So you have 12 executives and you're a high red and all but two of your executives that you've hired are all red. So they were taskmasters, right? Myself and one other individual were very much green. So we were about the people and how does how did the decisions we're making impact the masses, whether it be our employees or our customers? And through this conversation, <laughs> the CEO said to him, he goes, oh, that's really interesting. And then he put his head down and he goes, okay, let's get back to the task <laughs> we were talking about. And I was like, oh my God, we just spent like half a million dollars for this guy to tell us this is not working. But he was that CEO, who, great guy, right? Of course. But so polar opposite of what I was accustomed to, which was somebody who had had a significant impact. And by the way, I only worked with that one leader for two years and he had the biggest impact on my career of any leader that I have worked with. Like amazing, right? But very in tuned to even bringing out the best in people, right? So, and that makes such a difference. I don't know if that answered the question. Oh, yeah. Jim, that's, a, that's an example of somebody who was highly conscious to somebody who was 
Zero. Zero. Yes. And I love your example because that contrast, I think everyone can relate to when we, when we've worked with, you know, even like the visionaries and the inclusive leaders versus the ones that are just like, get it done. Here's your list for the day. Go do it. Don't care how you get it done. You know, there's such a difference there. And it's so interesting that you shared about the assessment. So it brings me back. I'm going to share a quick story too here of a time where I was a HR leader supporting a sales organization and we did the DISC assessment together. Mm -hmm. And this was a huge um, organization. And there was probably maybe like 30 or 40 leaders that did the DISC assessment together. And we put up a chart on the room in the room. And uh, majority of folks in the room were this high D&I. So it's the dominance and the very people-oriented and, you know, individual, you know, individual focused. And there was me and one other person that was more on like the teamwork side and the mm -hmm. dominance. So, but it was very eye-opening to see the chart and then people, oh, poor Jen, you're down there by yourself. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> it's good. This is good to have, you know, multiple different types of people. Of course, you it's know, super in, important. <laughs> it's really important, you know, but it also made me realize very interestingly enough that supporting a sales organization wasn't a perfect fit for me at that time <laughs> in my career. And so it was a really interesting dynamic from both a leadership perspective, a teamwork perspective, an individual development growing perspective. So there was a lot that came out of that. And I think to your point, just getting people together and recognizing differences and where people are coming from actually can bring a lot to the table from a leadership perspective and a teamwork perspective. So 100%. Like so important what you just described because if, if everybody's the same, then nobody is able to provide a different perspective, right? <laughs> right? And when you have that, because diversity is not just diversity with um, gender or religion or sex, or it's also about diversity of thought, right? Yes. And how and what we contribute to different situations. So I, I love that. And I, I, I mean, there's some companies who do a great job now when they're actually bringing executives on of putting them through assessments to see how do they fit in that organization? Like as a leader, I always look for people who weren't like me. Same. Right? <laughs> it's like, how do you... Because you're balancing, yes. right? You're always balancing because your, your people that you lead, your customers, they don't all think like you, right? So how do you... How do you cover all aspects and have a much broader uh, perspective on on even the decisions you're making? I couldn't agree more. And I have to tell you, so one of my roles in HR was focusing in talent acquisition. And I tried to instill that into leaders so many times about, hey, let's look at the skills and experiences of your whole team and figure out where the gap is. We don't need more of the same. We don't need somebody that has been there, done that, that's going to come in here in six months, be bored. Like, let's have somebody that yes. brings a different perspective that maybe hasn't had the exact experiences that's going to grow into the role and really add value in a different mindset, different perspectives and experiences to this team. And some leaders get it, some don't. <laughs> Sometimes it can be a tricky, a tricky sell, which is probably why you do the work that you do, which we're super grateful for. <laughs> so. Well, thank you. Yeah, it, it's so true. Like I was talking to a client this week and um, she has a new leader that has come on and both of them are very, very senior and they're trying to figure out what their roles are, right? Together and separately. And you know, it creates a lot of unrest because we're, we're 
our natural tendency is to defend our territory, right? And so part of that is how do we take the best, to your point, how do we take the best of both of you and find that find that common ground so that collectively we can really meet the objectives that we're trying to meet. Otherwise, we're spending so much time internally and externally fighting with each other that we're not able to take the organization and the people that we're leading to the next level or to meet the objectives that we're trying to meet. Yeah. And that's really what it's about <laughs> when it comes down to it. We're all here to it make a buck, simple. you know? <laughs> you it know, is that simple. <laughs> when, when personalities and egos and all these things get involved, sometimes having a very direct conversation about something like that can be, you know, it can be tricky. And so, uh, you know, there's lots of folks that are good at navigating those. And I love when leaders are at least open to listening to each other, yeah. you know, to kind of break those barriers down and put a plan together for, for the greater good. And working in HR for so many years, I feel like a lot of it comes down to communication is, hey, let's just make sure we're talking off the same sheet of music. Let's sit down and just talk this out and figure this out, you know, which, you know, it sounds simple, but Easier th- said than done, as we yeah. know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So um, you mentioned, we just kind of talked about the bottom line here. So I feel like a lot of leaders feel pressure around delivering short-term results and long-term well-being for an organization. So mm. how do conscious leaders do that? Do you have any ideas or strategies or um, stories to share around that? Yeah, and it is a balancing act for sure. I mean, from a from a societal perspective, we have created systems that incentivize on the short term. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right? and, and so, you know, there's a lot of companies now that they do short term and long term incentives, or people get shares in an organization. Which to me, that is super important because it it forces leaders to start to look at the long game, Yes. right? Um, And so that part of it is how we set up our systems. But as leaders, it's not an easy job. Right. (laughs) It's no question, right? But it is a balancing act all the time, right? If, If I do X, what is that potential outcome, right? If I do why, what is that potential outcome? What is the impact to the organization? Like, and, and I'll go back to keeping it in simplistic terms is how are you impacting an organization to move it forward, mm-hmm. right? And so it is that look at, you know, what are the things we're doing right now that are having a positive impact? What are the things that we're not doing well <laughs> that we need to change in order? Because if you're, if you're, looking at it consistently, measuring it consistently, talking about it. Like so many times, Jen, I'm in organizations and I'll say, okay, talk to me about what your strategy is this year. And the super, super senior will will say, oh, it's da-da-da-da-da. And then when I start talking to the emerging leaders and the people who are actually executing, they're like, I don't really know what we're supposed to be doing. Disconnected. Yeah, so there's this this communication gap that happens. And so when leaders can stop the noise of the 75 things to do, narrow it down, what is our three to five? That can help an organization like hyper-focus. As you master the three to five, then you can move on and add 
you know, two or three more. But Mm -hmm. constantly communicating that and making sure that people are always top of mind. Does this fit with what we're, what our end objective is? Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the best ways to, you know, harmonize things, to, to keep people engaged and part of that moving the organization forward. Ruthless prioritization comes to mind. I have this conversation with so many people. You know, there's so much to get done. We've got all these things we've got to do. And as leaders, you have to prioritize. Sometimes I even work with either emerging or mid-level managers that are just so flustered because there's a gazillion priorities coming from above and they just can't even keep their head above water. And that's where I always go back to them. Like, you've got to go to your leaders and figure out what the top three priorities are right now. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to keep up. And I think it really frustrates. And that's probably why a lot of organizations see this turnover because people at that level get super frustrated because they can't. They want to achieve. No one wakes up and says, I want to do something (laughs) terrible today or I want to have a bad day. Like, people want want to achieve. They want to do a good job, but they need to know what those priorities are and how to, you know. And the other thing that comes to mind as you're talking about this and kind of this balance of people and profit and, you know, this, this harmony is sometimes you have to be courageous as a leader and you have to make hard decisions. But I also think that there are ways to creatively support your people while you're doing that. So I think of layoffs. So that's a very difficult thing to manage as a leader. And to make that decision is never done lightly. And also, I think of if there's a conscious leader that's working to balance the short-term and the long-term, maybe there's a way to redeploy folks. So you don't have to just let them go. Could we... Yes talk with them and say, hey, we've got a situation. Are there any other jobs that you might want to do? Like maybe we need more people in sales and less people behind the scenes, you know, whatever that is, but be creative and thoughtful about it and involve your team, even in those hard decisions. And it can have such a, you know, such a better outcome versus these organizations that I'm hearing about that are laying people off over email, you know, like surprising them with an email at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, that you don't have a job anymore. To me, that is completely unconscious, <laughs> you know, and, and, it, it, and it happens. Not it's not, <laughs> not it's not, yeah. you know, and it, it happens a lot. And it's sad, it you know, when people don't think about the the long term. So, well, and, and so as you were saying that, I'll share an example with you. I think there is this tendency, it goes back to the knee-jerk reacting, yes. right? So there's this theme. It's not that, you know, executives from all the big one, top 100 are calling each other saying, hey, we're laying off all these people. But there is this unsaid vibe that goes through business that, oh, you know, you know I'll just make up names. Not that this is happening, but I'm making up names. Microsoft decides they're going to lay off 10,000 people. And then Salesforce hears this and then they go, oh, well, Maybe we should be proactive. We're going to lay off, right? Mm-hmm. Or it could be the banks, right? Like it, it doesn't matter. But what we do then is we go through this mechanical exercise yes. that says, oh, okay, if we have to cut 10,000 people, where's the, where's the least productive, right? Who are the people that were borderlining already? Let's, that's, the, that's the ones we're going to cut. 
instead of challenging that. Right. Right. So I'll give you an example for my, for my own personal. So when I was running Bombay, of course, we, you know, 9-11 happened. And I remember the parent company came to me and they said, Vicki, you need to cut 16 people out of the corporate office. And I was like, what? No, I'm not cutting 16 people out. And they're like, you know, we all have to buckle down where, you know, this is, there's people being cut, blah, 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 blah. So I said, okay, what are the dollars that you need? And they gave me the dollar figure. So instead of cutting people, I huddled my executive team and I said, okay, we have to cut half a million dollars as an example. Where are we going to cut that? And of course, everybody at first is like, oh, no, no, we can't cut anything because right. we all are territorial, right? And I said, okay, the other option is we cut 16 people. And then everybody was like, oh. So you include your people to your point earlier, yes. Jen. And so I started challenging them on processes. What are we doing that we're spending a lot of money on that is not adding value? Is there a different way for us to, you know, provide this information in a more cost-effective way? The end result was we ended up giving back more money than what we were actually asked to share. And we we didn't cut any people. Amazing. Right? Because we got creative to your point. We 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 took a step back and said, okay, hang on a second. How do we do this without losing our people? And that's, that's what we did. Right. And so as leaders, we have to be the ones to challenge the status quo or challenge the trend that's happening and look at different ways. Maybe, maybe there was two or three people that needed to be cut, but it was to me, it was better to look at what are we doing that is really not adding value or that we might be able to do differently and save that same amount of money. Um, so that's a, just an example. This example is conscious leadership. <laughs> so yeah. all, everyone that's listening, that is a great example of conscious leadership. And in my mind, what we need so much more of in this world today. So thank you for sharing that example. I know it can be a little vulnerable to share stories like that, but man, I'm so glad you stood up and got your team involved and ended up giving back more, which is amazing. And you know, there's nothing that the organization can say about that <laughs> other than thank exactly. you. <laughs> so. yeah, exactly. Oh, I love this. Well, as we kind of come to a close, Vicki, I love asking folks uh, their flourishing favorite. So a book or a podcast or some resource that has a significant impact on your career that you'd love to share with listeners. Wow. There's so many because I, I am an avid reader. And especially because I'm doing my PhD, I read yes. a lot of stuff now, more than ever. But there's two that really stand out to me and and they hit two different spectrums. <laughs> so from a leadership perspective, I would encourage anybody who is leading teams to, to actually read Red Teaming. And this is a phenomenal book. It's, it's how the military actually helps to train their uh, special forces. But the principles are so incredible in supporting how we lead, how we bring teams together, how we get teams to engage collaboratively, get rid of the egos, people. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, and if your life depends on it, how would you work with 
your teammates, Ooh, right? Good one. So it's a phenomenal, phenomenal read. Yes. Um, the second one that I personally love and and so interesting, Jen, this sat on my bookshelf for probably 20 years, and I'm not kidding you. Oh my gosh. I never read it. Uh, and then one day, it was one of those books that like kept jumping, right? It's yes. jumping off the shelf at me. And I'm like, okay, well, clearly it's time for me to read it. But it's called A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. And it is it is a inner journey of how you want to lead your life, basically. But she articulates it beautifully. And it's it helps you to start to understand that the world is bigger than you. Yes. <laughs> right? And so that return to love is, is really about, again, how we show up in the world. What do we... What, how do we want people to, to see us and talk about us because we're being that leader? So two different spectrums, um, both incredible, incredible books, which I would highly, highly recommend. Amazing. These are two books that I have not heard of yet. So I'm okay. <laughs> super excited to dig in. And I love the differences, like the military view on leadership and then the maybe more feminine side of returning to love and living your life in a very authentic way, it sounds like. So different perspectives. They might be really interesting to read one right after the other yes. too. So I might <laughs> give that a shot. I really appreciate you sharing those, Vicki. This has been so much fun talking with you and conscious leadership is a topic that I believe needs to be discussed more often. And you've certainly given us a lot to think about. And I'm so grateful that you're out there doing this work. So thank you so much for sharing all of this wisdom with us. Oh, my pleasure, Jen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And as we wrap up, where where can people find you out on the internet? Where would you like to direct folks? Oh, okay. You can find me in several places. LinkedIn, of course, you can find me under Vicki Bradley, or you can also find me under Will Empowered. That's one L, Women in Leadership Empowered. Uh, I'm highly active on uh, LinkedIn. So reach out if you have questions about the conversation from today. You can also find me on Instagram at Will Empowered, uh, or you can go to our website. We have great resources on our website. It gives you a whole spectrum of all the different offerings that we provide. Um, and it's really about, you know, helping leaders to excel as conscious leaders. And also, you know, just how do you how do you start to uh, include your peers, have peer-to-peer mentoring, networking, all of the things that are super important to build our power skills. Excellent. So, sounds, ways you can find me. <laughs> sounds like so many good resources out there. And I have to mention, Vicki also has a podcast, Women in Leadership Talk, <laughs> that I highly recommend you check out as well. And I have to share that Vicki has a new on-demand networking course. So that can also be found on her web website. And I know for job seekers, networking is something that is very difficult, but can really propel us forward in our careers. So this is a self-paced, it sounds like a self-paced course that includes uh, a live Q&A session on a monthly basis to enhance skills and practice and, you know, build your network and expand your skills. So I uh, definitely recommend that folks check that out as well. Awesome. Thank you, Jen. Appreciate You're, that. <laughs> yes, of course. So that's a wrap for today. As always, you can find the detailed show notes on the blog at flourish.careers slash blog. I'll talk to you next time. 